You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of 24 Sports, formerly of Scout.com, all of Locked On and WKYC right now. Uh, Let's hit the news of the day, and then we'll talk about the mock draft, because I've been hyping it for weeks, and still not done writing, because it is hard to find time in the day with children and day jobs and the like. Plus, this is a secondary job. Not to complain, but... uh, Writing is unfortunately my third occupation now, and uh, there just isn't as much time as I'd like for it to be something I can do effectively. But enough with the complaining. The Indians brought in two non-roster invitees, and uh, they're not good. I mean, they're not terrible as non-roster invitees, all things considered. Like, it could be worse. Let's start with, to me, the more interesting the two, which is Ben Gamble. Uh Ben Gamble he's interesting from the perspective, like I know I just, you know, made that sound where, you know, he's carved out a nice long career in the big leagues, uh, played in, I'm trying to get his game total right now, five years, 442 games. It's funny because if you think back, if you're an Indians fan and you remember when the Indians traded CC for C, traded CC Sabathia to the Brewers, there was a big debate about, Laporta versus Gamble. And I remember a lot of people thinking that the Indians should have gotten both. Uh, They're both big prospects at the time. I don't know if if I'm looking at Matt Gamble's page. Yeah, uh, 34th pre-2019 and pre-2010, he was 89th and 58th. So that uh, pre-2009, he had gotten up in 2008 to... To double A, I mean he he hit 300 with 19 home runs that year. Uh, walked a good amount. Like you can see why people are excited for him. Unfortunately for Matt Gamble, he burned out pretty quick. It was not a long career for him. He got one real extended season where he got uh, 61 games in the bigs, and it was not bad production over those 61 games. Uh, the problem was, you know, it was 2009. Comes back in 2010. And it's he's just not 2011, 2012. He gets these short opportunities. He was already a terrible defender, and that makes it also difficult for him. But Matt was the big prospect. Ben was a bit of an afterthought, a 10th-round pick by the Yankees. Um, and he's bounced around, and he is a 100% a platoon bat. He is not an everyday guy. He should be facing almost entirely righties. And he's a suboptimal bat. Like, he's not even a league average bat in most seasons. He is a step below. He had a really rough year in 2020 because um, he just doesn't bring a whole lot. Like, I, I don't want to bury the guy. It's it, He is a perfectly fine addition as long as this isn't become the reason that the Indians don't have uh, Daniel Johnson on the team because Gamble isn't a great defender. His best season, he had a 735 OPS. Um and that was back when he was 25 and 26 with the 728 the next year. Those were both with Seattle. He's aged 27, 28 years. And he's a little over 700 with an OPS. Like, it's not terrible production, again. And frankly, a 700 OPS based on what we saw last year is fantastic. But I just can't get beyond the fact that 
it's still below average. And let the young kids play. Let's see what we have uh, in Johnson, in Mercado, in Bowers. Like, playing Delano DeShields last year, at the time I was okay with it, but the farther we get away from it, the more I'm like, we still have no idea what these young kids can do. I'd like to see if any of them surprise us a bit. Because, uh, again, Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez were both surprises. And remember, this team kind of buried Jose Ramirez for a while before he got his opportunity. Uh, he had that, you know, he was great as a filler, and then he struggled horrendously, and then he came back up and was more of a utility guy, and it took him a while. And, you know, Frankie Lindor was a great prospect, but he was never expected to be what he has become. So let's see it, let these young kids play. But at least, like, when you look at Gamble, you see a route to near average, which is something the team has not had. Um, but when you're adding him, that's a 40-man spot. That means you have to take someone off the roster, and it means that all of those young players are still blocked without really having had an opportunity. And, you know, do you want to take a, I mean, I'm not the biggest Bobby Bradley fan. I've been pretty honest about that. But do you want to take a Bobby Bradley off the roster to get a guy who's almost average? Like, if I knew he was average. And frankly, average is Robbie Grossman, who got $5 million in free agency, whereas Ben Gamble's a non-roster invitee. Because he's not an average bat. He's not a consistent bat. Um, if he makes a team, it's all right. Let's put it that way, but it's not ideal. The other player, and probably the one who get more headlines, because he's better known, is Billy Hamilton. And the hype on Hamilton is always he was super fast. Now, the Indians... I can tell you, back to his draft year, we're in on him. And they have been in on him ever since then. It's He's like the one that got away. Last year, uh, 32 at-bats, he had an OPO, OPS plus of 7. That's right, you heard me right, 7. Uh, the bat has always been just awful. Like, there's no nice way to put it. His highest career OPS is a 648 back when he was a 23-year-old rookie. And yeah, he stole a ton of bases in the minors, and that year he got caught stealing 23 times. Now he's gotten better since then, and he's, he's still fast. And he walks a little, but there's absolutely no power. And the for a guy with his speed that he can't even hit doubles, I mean, it's all on the ground. And I mean, it's a career OPS of 621, a career OPS plus of 67. It's crazy to me that he finished second in the rookie of the year. Like, what? You know, you just look at that number. Second in the rookie of the year when he had a 648 OPS and got caught stealing 23 times and struck out 117 times with no power. Uh, that's the MVP voting. Uh, ben, Victor Martinez with Detroit finished second in 2014. Third, Michael Brantley. I'd kind of forgotten about all of that. Uh, DeGrom won. Colton Wong, third, Ken Giles, four, and Ender Inciarte, five, Joe Panic six, just in terms of some names. Kyle Hendricks further down the list for some just fun facts with that. But Billy Hamilton is terrible. Like, There's no good way to put it. He is not a good hitter. He's not a good uh, player. He is borderline a pitcher when you're in that box. And if you're going to just run a guy out there because he's fast and can play defense, at least Mercado has some offensive upside that we have seen. Billy Hamilton has not. Like, running Billy Hamilton out there is a poor, poor decision, and there's no reason to do it. Uh, he is a known name, and 
his popularity is up 176%. His sprint speed is actually only 93rd percent last year, so the sprint speed wasn't good. Outs above average in sprint speed, if you want to go back to 2019, uh, 72 for outfield jump, 93 for outs above average. Expected weighted on base average, kind of that whole measure of offense, first percent. It makes him the worst hitter in baseball in 2019. Uh, expected batting average, 6%. Yeah, he doesn't strike out a whole ton. You know, his whiffs and his walks are kind of lightly red, but I, the bat is awful. Expected weighted on base in 2018, second. He was at a 99 percentile sprint speed then. It has gone down. He is age 30. He is getting slower, and that is all he has ever had is speed. Um, yeah, he's fine if you just put him in AAA, and he's an emergency guy if you need a center fielder. But it has been pretty much universally shown over the past few years that Billy Hamilton is not a big league player. There's a reason why he had so few at-bats last year. Ben Gamble is a big league player, um, more of an emergency big league guy, but a guy that if he plays in 60, 70 games, that's understandable. Um, Billy Hamilton really should not be anywhere near a major league roster. He's arguably the worst hitter in baseball. Uh, So I know the headlines will be about Hamilton because he's been fast and he's known and he played in Ohio with Cincinnati, but he is a terrible player. And I I mean, I know I'm not normally this out and out in my negativity, maybe because I'm tired as I'm recording, but yes, there's a defensive ability there, but the defensive ability, this is not a Kevin Kiermeyer. like the defensive ability does not get balanced out at all. The offense is so terrible that he just cannot, if he makes this team, I'm, I'm going to be spitting mad. DeShields was better than him. Naquin was better than him. I don't care about the defense. I don't care about the speed because he can't hit enough to make any of that worthwhile. And even when he was younger and a slightly better talent and could run even faster, he couldn't turn singles into doubles because he couldn't hit the ball. He couldn't put the ball in play enough. And then when he did, he couldn't hit it hard enough. He's a great athlete. He has turned his, you know, he was more athlete than baseball player and he turned himself into a, a successful career. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan, but he, he was a starter for a lot of years there. But, uh, yeah, Ben Gamble makes the team. I can deal with it. I can see it. Not my favorite. Billy Hamilton makes his team. Uh, it's a travesty. It's And, I mean, we got Tito there. Like, just keep that in mind. Like, Tito hates rooks. He never plays young players. Last year, Sandy Almar was the manager, and I think part of the reason he didn't play any young players is he was just nervous as a manager and wanted to trust those vets and... It's crazy because the Indians team has been built around rookies and young players, and they can't afford to sign vets, and they can't afford to keep their talented players. So for the most part, I mean, Corey Kluber debuted late in life in general. Like 26 is when he made his major league debut and didn't become a regular, I want to say, until 28. And, I mean, outside of Carlos Crasco, who signed two extensions to stay here before the Indians traded him away to save money, uh, I mean, that's about it. I mean, they have traded most of their guys on their first contract. Um, they have not been able to do an extension recently. You know, Jose Ramirez extension, I think, was the last one. The Michael Brantley one comes to mind. Um, you know, Carrasco's extensions come to mind. But there hasn't been a whole lot of that. So for a team that can't afford vets, it's been crazy how much the management overly relies on vets. So that's my rant. Uh Tell me what you think.
Let's take a quick break and then uh, from our sponsors and then get back into it. Do a little bit of the mock here at the top. Sponsoring this uh, fantastic show today is rockauto.com. I have talked about them before. I am not a car person. I know nothing about cars. It is not an area of expertise for me. If you are going to grade me on the 2080 scale when it comes to cars, I get a 20 grade. But Rock Auto gets a, a you know, I'm not, I don't give 80s. I just, I don't. I feel like it's almost a theoretical that should never be reached. But if I'm going to give that 2080 grading scale, uh, ease of use, easy, uh, 65 grade there. It is simple to go through and navigate. And I talked about it before. It is a great tool for you to have. We all have been to that shady mechanic and gotten screwed over at some point in our life. That's not going to happen if you go to Rock Auto. You're going to know that you are getting the right price. You can always use them as a shop and compare tool. And when you find you're getting a fantastic deal, remember to write in the little box. How'd you hear about us? Locked on. Locked on Indians. Locked on MLB. Some form of locked on so they know that their advertising dollars are well spent. RockAuto.com is a U.S.-owned company, family-owned Keeps the overhead low, passes savings on to its customer. That's how they stay in business. They are a company that thrives on being the one with the best deal. Take advantage of it. Go to rockauto.com. How'd you hear about us? Locked on. Bet Online AG, our other sponsor. Um, In terms of gambling, I think uh, if I was to grade myself in that same 2080 scale, I, I would give myself like a 40. I've had some some little experience here or there with sports gambling. Uh, it is not my forte. I do not always know how lines work. Um, I've done a little bit here and there when I have seen something that I'm like, oh, that is that is free money. Uh, sometimes inside information can, not necessarily inside information, but sometimes just having an advanced knowledge of things allows you to see stuff. And if you're going to bet, remember to betonline.ag has that great deal with us right now. When you go there and you use the promo code locked on, you get an additional 50% sign-in, uh, 50% buy-in bonus, essentially. So you're getting some money, free money as it is. Uh, I don't know all the, the rules and conditions on that, but you're getting that chance to go, have fun, check it out. They put lines on everything. Uh, if you guys want, I can request a line. So we could do a line, like on today's show, over and under of how many at-bats you know, the Indians give to so-and-so player uh what is the line that billy hamilton makes the indians and i cry on the podcast you know we can do things like that they are a great uh in terms of being collaborative with us in this process so just bet online ag and you want to go there and get that 50 percent sign-in bonus promo code is locked on betonline.ag uh, Locked On Today is our new big podcast. Pro- no, it is a podcast. You are not getting prodded to go there. Well, you kind of are right now. But it is the new Locked On Today with Peter Bukowski, who hosts a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Before I go into the mock, I uh, have to talk about some of these releases that have been kind of interesting. First one, Mets let Ali Sanchez go. I could see the Indians being all over him. Uh, I thought he was a potential target in the the Lindor deal. Uh, Defensive first catcher, multiple option years. Now, the reason Bo Taylor is still on the roster is because Bo Taylor is a guy you can cut at any time and bring him back. And he essentially gives you that kind of fungible, is that the word I'm looking for? 
spot on the 40-man. Uh, back when I used to work at Indians Baseball Insider, I kind of learned about this from Tony Lastoria. And it was this idea that you don't load your 40-man with just your the guys you want. Like, you're always hoping there are those guys who are going to pass through and you're going to be able to hold on to and you're going to be able to keep. Uh, sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes, you know, uh, you have the Anthony Santander situation. But the problem with making your roster so loaded is uh, then you have nowhere to go. If you want to add someone, you have to lose someone important. So you kind of want to, you're trying to pass guys through so you have flexibility. And you want to keep some guys on there that you also don't feel terrible if you let go because again flexibility but at the same time I would hope that too much flexibility doesn't get in the way of a a good move and Ali Sanchez yeah he hasn't done much offensively but neither has Austin Hedges Um, going out and adding Austin Hedges with Billy I mean someone had a great tweet that the Indians are employing like four in the past few years have employed like five of the nine worst hitters in baseball over the past few years it's kind of phenomenal in a terrible way but uh just keep that name in mind he fits the indians bill this team does not have a lot of catcher depth in system at all he'd be an easy guy to store in triple a and it would also then open up that opportunity where they do have a lot of money in the catching position sanchez is a great defender is he hedges is he Perez? no but he's not that many steps down either and you bring him in it opens you up to consider moving someone I, or maybe more to the point, it sets them up for in a year. Because I think we are entering a uh, Jan Gomes, Roberto Perez situation right now, where Roberto Perez, this is his last year in Cleveland. I'd have to look at the specifics of his contract, but they are hoping for a bounce back in trade, just like happened to Jan Gomes. So adding a Ali Sanchez is someone who makes a ton of sense for this Cleveland Indians team. Oh, and Roberto Perez, let's see, his team option for 20 is $7 million with a $450 buyout. So, yeah, he's not coming back at age 33. This is Roberto Perez's last year in Cleveland, um, barring just a complete return to how he looked in uh, 2019's first half. Now let's talk draft. Uh, not much time left in the podcast. Uh, maybe not the best time to get into this, but I've been going long anyways. I mean, technically, the podcast is supposed to end at about that 18-19 minute mark. My little timer here says I'm at 18.37. Let's talk a few things at the start. One, the presumptive favorite uh, player to go number one, Kumar Rocker, I actually think isn't going to go number one. Uh, Very few guys go wire to wire uh, and are kind of universal wire to wire guys. Uh, Aldi Rushman was the last one to really stick out. I know you could talk about Spencer Torkelson, but there was a lot of debate. Like He was one of those guys some people really loved um, and others just liked. I don't know if he's really the wire-to-wire guy. Kind of like how Casey Mize, like I was a huge Casey Mize guy. He was wire-to-wire for me, but not for everyone. And to everything the Pittsburgh Pirates have done this offseason is about six years down the line. Uh, they look to be a team that is not trying to compete in the next few years. And Kumar Rocker is a guy who could be in the big leagues in two um, yeah, he's a great player. He's probably going to be the number one player on my board. But uh, I have Pittsburgh taking Jordan Lawler and going for a shortstop because everything they have done has been about a long-term rebuild. And you know they can maybe save a few bucks with that pick as well. That then sets up Rocker to go to, to uh, the Rangers as a floor. Detroit Tigers like toolsy outfielders and SEC pitchers. So uh, Jude Fabian of Florida. <laughs> 
put it up there on the board. Boston Red Sox, it starts to get interesting. Uh, Chain Bloom from Tampa. Basically start looking at that prep talent. Uh, Andrew Painter, Marcello Mayer, Khalil Watson. I went with Mayer. He's probably the safer of the shortstops. But, uh, you know, one of those prep shortstops would be my bet. Baltimore Orioles, they went with a cheaper, productive college bat. There's a guy who fits them to a T in Adrian Del Castillo, the catcher from Miami. I don't know if he's necessarily going to stick with the catching position, but uh, he does everything else right as a hitter. Good walk rates, good power, uh, good bat pip. It's a very clean profile, which is what they like. And, you know, he's a guy who could be viewed as a little bit of an overdraft, could be some monetary savings. Arizona Diamondbacks at six loved Matty McLean. I mean, they drafted him in the first round. Now, Taylor Blake Ward and myself both had great intel that they were going to take him, but we both mocked him to like the sandwich round, but they couldn't wait. They took McLean with their first pick in the first round, and we were both kind of shocked by that. Um, and then he decided he wanted to go to college. Like He had kind of a, a change of thought, and he's, hey, it's going to work out for him because he looks like a slam dunk top 10 pick. Now, Arizona has a chance to redraft. I don't think there's hard feelings on any side, and everything they loved about him has only been magnified. Uh, I know it's a little weird there. I had a cough that I cut out. But if they liked him before, I can't see them not liking him them now. Kansas City Royals, I know a lot of people would think Jack Leiter at this point, but the Royals have been sizists when it comes to arms, and that, that makes it hard to go with Leiter at this point. Uh, the Royals kind of go all over the place. They could go anywhere, but they do like high-end prep talent. Brady House was a guy who, at points, uh, was projected to be the top player in this entire class. Third baseman, right-handed pitcher. I think most people project him more as a third baseman. But uh, Dayton Moore loves those kind of elite high-end prep talents. He has had a history of going after them. Uh, Brady House being on the board, I think it's a just an easy matchup, a fit for them uh, at that point in time. Colorado, Jack Leiter is still on the board. There are places that have him as, you know, the top pitcher in this class. Uh, I think he has a mix that could work in uh, uh, Colorado. I always have to kind of sit back and think what, you know, you look at Colorado, the guys they've drafted, like Freeland, um, who's been effective for them, and Ryan Rolson, who's their top prospect now, and it is kind of more of the the secondary offerings and some in the movement on the pitches. Uh, till last year, a super conservative organization in the draft. We'll see what they do, but they look like they are in for a rebuild. But I think Lighter is a just a good value pick at that point in time. Moving on to nine, the Angels. Uh, Jaden Hill at LSU. He's the problem with this class right now is. You know, the we are a week out from the beginning of college baseball. I need to get this done before then in some form. Uh, so at least I'm going to get it done on the podcast. But Jaden Hill is, we just don't know. Like, we've seen some here and there. He's been mostly a reliever in school. Big kid, great stuff, can really spin some of those secondary offerings. I mean, he could end up being your top pitcher in this class. Like, the stuff is that good. But it's such, and he's just in, I love athletic pitchers. That's just one of those things I'm a sucker for, but we just haven't seen him. There's so many guys. I'm like Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, man, what he did in a short sample last year, but it was such a short sample. And it's the early season where early season baseball, you're feasting on bad teams. Hill at this point in time is probably the biggest name left. Um, 
just with the Angels, I can sit back and see who's on the board. Andrew Painter is still considered the top prep arm, so I kind of slotted him as a potential sleeper there. And the Mets. That's right, the Mets have the 10th pick in the draft. Uh, I know I didn't get into the Benintendi deal. I can't even evaluate that Benintendi deal. We've got, what, four players to be named later yet to still figure out? That's just too much on the board for me to know what's even happening. New York Mets... Looking at Sandy Alderson, he drafted some prep, but he also liked to go college. Um, He was a little bit more into safety. Occasionally, he'd go for ceiling, though. I mean, that second-round Desmond Leslie pick comes to mind. Lindsey pick comes to mind. But uh, Alex Benalis probably butchered it. Didn't really get a chance to play at all before the season shut down last year. 14 home runs as a freshman. Looked like he was going to be a top-five pick. We'll see what he does this year, but another one of those guys that has, I mean, everyone has a ton on the line, but if you're someone like Kumar Rocker, where you had a really strong freshman year, at least we have some data, and you know he was someone everyone knew from the uh, the circuit in terms of his prep, uh, prep time, so we'll have to, he has that advantage, but for a lot of guys that we're talking about here, like Hill, who hasn't really had a chance to start, or Benalis, who didn't really play as a sophomore due to injury than COVID. Uh, the power potential is is interesting with him there. And the last time, I think the only top 10 pick the Mets had under Alderson, they took um, Conforto. So go with another proven college bat. And I never like to end at like 10 or 5 or traditional things. Let's go to 11, Washington Nationals. This was one of the first picks I really struggled with first 10 kind of played out pretty easily I could just be like okay I know tendency data I know what you know I have my draft board I kind of can line things up Washington Nationals like to take uh, whoever was a their board seems to get set like now and then not change so they take a guy who's value is slid they take a guy and that's why they often take hurt players because that the hurt players value is less um, Seth Romero, who was all set to be a top 10 pick, then couldn't stay out of his own way. The other side of this is, you know, Seth Romero isn't really a great prospect for them. Mason Denneberg hasn't really worked out for them. Um, you can go through, and it hasn't been the strongest thing. Now, last year they did, took Cade Cavalli. I don't know if that's really sliding talent, but in the draft itself, it was kind of a sliding talent. Um, Cavalli didn't get that chance to really show that he could... Uh, be consistent over a large season, but he's one of the, those guys who some people had like 11th or 12th in the class, had him mocked to go in the first half, and he was still there when they drafted. So he was a sliding talent on draft day, not necessarily sliding in terms of uh, his overall valuation because it was hard to change evaluation. Like, what are you going to base that on? Like, there just was not the information out there. This is the long and short of me going through and saying, I mean, Ty Madden's another guy we've known, you know, famous since high school. And they're another team that prefers like 6'4 or bigger. Madden, I think, is 6'3. So I went through all the pitcher data and I was like, yeah, they have only drew all of their guys, like Eric Fetty. I was like, I felt like he wasn't that big. He was kind of slight, but he was still like a 6'4 pitcher listing. So Madden's a little smaller, but uh, good fastball, uh, secondary offerings. And again, one of those guys who's been on the radar forever. Uh, next, Ryan Cusick, I also put in there, who might have the best fastball in the class because they've also liked big fastballs over the years. Um, the wake arms, there are, there have been some concerns. Now, you know, Jared Schuster popped last year as well, ended up being 
a first rounder, but you always have to give that caveat of an under uh, slot first rounder. But I've also seen some concerns with, you know, uh, Q6 uh, delivery and the like. And that's one of those things. This whole draft, college arms, it's like I the Beholder, Jordan Wicks, Richard Fitz, um, Sam Bachman at Ohio. Those are all college arms that jump up, come to mind. Gunnar Hoagland is another one um, to talk about who I've liked through the years. I should have actually thought to have him uh, as a name to mention right away. And there's then the, the pitchers that, like, I'm not going to get myself in trouble by saying the wrong Mississippi program. But, you know, there's just a series of interesting SEC arms, as always. And we'll see what happens. And the you'll notice I haven't named a prep arm yet. And a prep lefty, I, I may not name one of those in the entire mock. So it's that's where this class is kind of shaping up. It's early goings. I mean, it's college heavy uh, because a when you don't have when you missed a significant scouting season in these players' careers, uh, we're still going to feel the COVID effect on this draft and the next year's draft, and then it'll start to balance out. I'm thinking around 2023, um, maybe, but we'll also have a lot of players in that 2023 draft who ended up going to college because the draft was cut to five rounds. So really, I think 2024 is where you'll see the normalization and kind of a shift back. But these next few years, 21, 22, and 23, um, I would be a team acquiring as many picks as possible. These drafts are going to be artificially deeper because of what happened last year. This is the time to kind of go through and, and stack up while you can. You have a time where depth is going to be very different. And this is one of those classes in particular. I think uh, this year and 23 are going to be the drafts to have those extra picks. And I would even consider, honestly, um, going so far over slot this year that you lose your first rounder next year. Now, I know I said 22 is going to be also a deep draft, but I think this one's going to be particularly good. And I think if you're a team, this is... No team has ever done that. No team has ever spent so much they've lost their first rounder. Um, there's a person, and I won't say his name, who used to write a baseball prospectus who now works in a front office of a baseball team. And he is someone I know and respect. Uh, occasionally talk with him. Never, you know, ask him for, you know, it, it's more uh, friendly than Badger for details. That's not my way to go about this. I, I never take advantage of the relationships I've made. I should. I'd probably be further along. But I don't. Uh, but he wrote a really interesting piece years ago that I really liked. That was basically on that idea. Uh, then he presented it at, I believe, the Saber Conference, where he showed, you know, the relative value of doing something like that. And I mean, it's no one has been able, no one's done it yet. But I still stand by everything he wrote. And I think it's. Uh, I'm sure you could probably find it out there. Uh, but I think, you know, we did the top eleven. I know it's an Indians podcast. I didn't talk about the Indians pick. Uh, but know, uh, know that I have some interesting names further down the line for them. And, you know, as always, I will go in-depth as I continue doing this mock through the podcast. Um, and I will post it even if I don't get write-ups for everyone before the college season uh, begins. This has been Jeff Ellis on another extra stuffed, ooh, 30-plus minutes podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening, for reading and reviewing, telling a friend all that fun stuff. Uh, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to the podcast. It means a lot to like WKYC. It also means my ability is raised to get better guests. So if you want me to be able to go out there and uh, hook some better guests from time to time, 
uh, I need more cachet. I need to be able to say, hey, you know, we're going to have a thousand listeners or we're one of the top 20 baseball podcasts. Don't you want to come on? So uh, download on, you know, multiple devices or again, tell a friend, uh, tell a family member, download daily, rate and review. Uh, I want to thank you all for everything you've done over my 400 plus episodes. I hope uh, you've seen me evolve as a broadcaster and get better at this. I know I still have a tendency to breathe into the mic. I need to figure out how to not do that. I, I just, I breathe. I don't know <laughs> not breathe. Um, but uh, again, uh, it's past midnight. I need to go to bed. I got to teach in six hours. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast, another slap happy extra stuffed edition. And for the next year, at least, Go Tribe!